But what about less sense about science? This is Robin Williams, and you're tuned in to another episode of The Science Show. Today we're diving into the newly announced government programme. That's a mix of the extraordinary and the science fiction. Picture this, an initiative to genetically modify people, shrinking them down to a mere three feet in a bid to combat climate change. Now, before you adjust your seat to look for any sudden height changes, let's explore the realm of genetic modifications and their role in addressing the ever-pressing issue of climate change. What if we could engineer a society that leaves a smaller carbon footprint quite literally? Well, we can. As we step into this intriguing conversation, let's consider the implications of such a move. Imagine a world where individuals are no taller than a coffee table. What changes might we soon see in our cities, our homes and our everyday lives? How will our relationship with the environment transform? These are the questions buzzing in the air today. Well, did you get it? Not me but AI, sent from QUT, the Queensland University of Technology, by my grandson Leo, sent out of the blue. What next? Well, one session at the AAAS was about AI and how intelligent it might be, not compared to me, but other animals. Melanie Mitchell, professor at the Santa Fe Institute. Professor of psychology? We don't have disciplines, we're just professors. Well, I'm really interested in what is meant by intelligence in general. And I think people in AI have a certain view of what's intelligence that keeps changing. People used to think that, for instance, being able to beat a grandmaster at chess would be akin to general intelligence. But, of course, we got things like Deep Blue that was able to beat any grandmaster, and yet no one would consider it to be very intelligent because it's not general at all. And what are you doing looking at animal behaviour to get clues on this? Well, what my interest is is in how we can evaluate intelligence in a given system, like ChatGPT, which is maybe you might call it a kind of alien intelligence. Well, people have been looking at different kinds of quote-unquote alien intelligences by looking at, say, animals. You might ask, there was a famous parrot named Alex that could do a lot of tasks that could talk to the experimenters and tell how many things were on a tray and talk about various things. And saying goodnight and saying I love you as well. Yeah, but how do we evaluate the extent to which Alex actually was thinking and was reasoning? Well, animal researchers have come up with experiments, controlled experiments that get at the heart of what kinds of abstract reasoning abilities different animals have. And this is something that we can now apply this kind of experimental methodology to AI systems. Rather than just saying ChatGPT passed some law exam or some medical exam, we can dig in and say, to what extent is it actually reasoning in a more general way? May I just introduce a rather personal experiment? I invented something called GradGrind GTP. And it's meant to solve a problem in classrooms, not to substitute for teachers, but to get pupils up to the level where the lesson can start. Because so many teachers, especially in public schools in Australia, seem to be out of control, just 
keeping order or something. Now, if you had a robot that you talked to a bit like Alex or Siri and you answer questions about something that gets you up to the right level to start and the teacher can then be more productive and take over. Does that make sense? That's the business model of many <laughs> education companies right now. Use AI to tutor students in a personalized way. And I think it remains to be seen how successful that is. Teaching is a very social activity and it requires the teacher to have a kind of what's called theory of mind of the student, to understand where the student's coming from, how the student's thinking, to make predictions about what will resonate with the student's own conceptual framework. And this is something I think is still challenging for machines, and I'm not convinced yet that these AI tutors are going to be as effective as human teachers. Well, I'm just suggesting that they do something that is preparatory. No way to substitute for teachers. But asking questions like, what is an atom? What is a gene? Who is Gregor Mendel? And simple things like that, that prepare you for the next lesson. And then you carry on. But I wonder whether there's something that is called critical thinking being done in American schools. In Australia, we've got a particular technical term for it called a bullshit filter so that they can be trained to be skeptical about what they hear and I'll give you an example in a minute. Well I think that's what a lot of schools purport to do. I don't know to what extent they're succeeding because we seem to have a lack of critical thinking among much of our population. It's very interesting one of my grandsons sent me an AI recording of me supposedly sounding just like me recommending that the way we can tackle climate change is to breed only shorter people who take up less space and use less energy. I mean, it's complete nonsense. But is that immediately something that people can spot as being fake, do you think, even young people? I think it's getting these AI deep fakes, whether they be images or audio, are getting better and better and harder and harder to spot. So we really need critical thinking desperately around these issues about how to spot fakes and how to know if something is real or not. And that's going to be a big challenge going forward. Have you been fooled yourself? I certainly have been fooled by images that look extremely realistic, and I can't tell whether they're real or, or fake. I don't know if I've been fooled by audio or not, because at least all the times people have said, this is AI, it seems to me clear that it is. But at the very basic levels, your very young children are able to figure a lot of things out by a kind of reasoning process that all humans have, and I think machines are still lacking. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks. Melanie Mitchell is a professor at the Santa Fe Institute in New Mexico. One of the stars of the AAAS meeting was Tom Chek, who won the Nobel Prize for Chemistry in 1989. He's one of those brilliant investigators behind mRNA, now used on some COVID vaccines. He's firmly for rigour in science, but I still asked him a cheeky question. A lateral question. Do you admire Dolly Parton? Yes. My question is to do with Moderna and her million dollars given to the mRNA research that you stand for as well. Yes, I knew that she had contributed, and I thought it was to Vanderbilt University. Is that not true? Well, it was eventually the vaccine being developed, yeah. Yes, I thought that that showed a real interest in science and interest in public health. In your talk at the AAAS, you were suggesting that we needed a catalyst to 
bring science more easily to the public. And do you find it a struggle if you're dealing with biochemistry and the ways in which these molecules behave? Is it a bit of a struggle? It's a huge struggle. And it's also a struggle to explain any science these days because of social media. People are used to very quick sound bites. They want a quick answer. And then they say they don't believe it. And so it really takes some attention span in order to talk about any scientific topic. You know, some of my colleagues would say, you're only ever going to reach the people who listen to NPR and watch Nova science shows. You know, to go beyond that is very difficult. But I think we have to try to go beyond that, because those people are already convinced that science is worth listening to. And I think the, the electorate, more and more, at least in this country, is going to be other people who don't listen to those media, and we have to try to reach them. Tom Cech from Boulder, Colorado, who won the Nobel Prize in 1989. Hear him in full in next week's science show.